Job, Job chapter 1 and 2. Job wanted me to read all of oh, Job. Ben wanted me to read all of Job, but no, 1 and 2, Ben's all you get. No, 1 and 2 is his focus, but he loves Job, Ben does, and um, I'm sure we'll enjoy his presentation on it. Many of us are familiar with the story of Job. Job 1 and 2. In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons, three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. So this was Job's regular custom. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Satan replied, does Job fear for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the works of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your hands but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were ploughing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword and I and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties, swept down on your camels, carried them off. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, they're all dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. 
At this Job got up, tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord, has, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. On the second day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them to present themselves before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad and Sophar, heard all about the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathise with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognise him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great he was suffering. Ben. Thanks Chris and good morning everybody. As every year rolls by I appreciate more and more how difficult the English language is. Uh, Having spent some time with those whose language is not directly English, uh, I appreciate that more and more, especially when I read in front of me Job. Job? Is it Job or Job? Well, anyway, explain that to a Korean, whatever it might be. Can I be the first one, friends, to say um, Happy New Year? Is that too early to say that? No? What do we mean when we say Happy New Year? Do we wish everyone to have a year of happiness? 
or when we say happy and prosperous new year, do we wish everyone to have a prosperous new year? Is that what we mean when we say that? Because life will tell you that as each year rolls by, it's not always happiness, is it? It's not always prosperous. And I think if we reflect on the year 2012, uh, you can fill in the dotted lines for yourself as to what type of year you've had. Sadness? Grief? Financial loss, maybe? Whatever it might be. I think uh, when we wish someone a happy new year, do we, do we consider that uh, they won't be exempt from challenges in 2013? I don't think so. I think we know quite well that life is a challenge. Matter of fact, it's more than that. Life is a, a spiritual battle, really, isn't it? I think the battle is on in our lives, spiritually, whether you're in Christ or yet to know him. The battle's on. I think if you share the love of the Lord Jesus with those around you, you're right at the coalface of that battle, that spiritual battle that rages over the souls of people. Well, the book of Job... 1,500 years ago before Christ or thereabouts, Job didn't have a happy and prosperous new year, did he? We've just read that in the first two chapters here. It was really a annus horribilis. Remember that term? Annus horribilis. The Queen used it 20 years ago, would you believe it, for 1992, the year she had. That's what Job had, didn't he, in Chapters 1 and 2, as we just read, what Chris has read for us. So what does that mean for us as we unpack these couple of chapters? Well, firstly, the book of Job, God doesn't try to justify himself. He doesn't have to. He doesn't try to explain what human suffering is all about because he wouldn't be able to make that clear in all its complexity. And the book of Job is not about a man who was brave, for Job wasn't. But the Lord would teach us in the book of Job that he is sovereign over all things. The God who keeps us in his hands regardless of what happens in this world and indeed our lives. And so this morning we'll be reminded that there is no power on earth that can separate us from his love. That doesn't mean that we'll live a life without struggles. 2013 could well be an annus horribilis, a very challenging year. For as we read, Satan tries very hard to distract people from living a purposeful life to the glory of God. And in Job's case, even a life partner, a wife, who in a mistaken show of love, tries to lead her husband to suicide. He also uses friends who mean well, but really 
make life unbearable for Job. And how the devil can subtly infiltrate the minds of people and present a distortion of the truth. And I dare say that in our own lives and also as church, we can perhaps identify with some of the challenges that have come our way. And yet, we can be encouraged, for as we see later, that despite the problem in Job's life, the Lord triumphs. For the book of Job is not about Job, really. It's, it's about God. It's about his love and about his grace and his mercy. After the calamities had fallen on Job, he declares that the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And later Job says that what the Lord has given him is bad, but he'll endure it. And he curses the day he was born. And it appears that his faith slowly diminishes and there's hardly anything left of his profession for the love of God. So our attention this morning will not be on the trials and challenges that will come our way, even in 2013, as real as they might be, but how we might respond to them in faith. Pride, pride, that horrible word, is very much used by Satan to distract us from the love of God. And Job too began to justify himself instead of God, as we can read in, in the following chapters, or actually in chapter 32, and he becomes righteous, we are told, in his own eyes. Just a brief overview of Job. Uh, chapter 3 to 31, Job is in discussion with his three th friends, mentioned at the end of chapter 2. And their discussions focus on Job's suffering and they draw a consensus amongst themselves that Job must have done something wrong to have suffered all that he had. But Job is dissatisfied with that explanation and also laments the fact that God does not explain to him why he had suffered so much. And then a fourth person is introduced in chapter 32. Eliu is his name, a young man who apparently keeps silent after hearing this whole discussion between Job and his friends. And he has a fresh approach. He puts God right back into the centre of discussion. And his words are indeed confirmed by the Lord himself in chapter 38, resulting that Job finally acknowledges the far superior counsel of God and he repents. So, what can we learn from all this? What lessons are there for us that we can be helped in our times of struggle? A number of things. Firstly, that suffering often comes as a result of an unseen conflict in the spiritual world. One of the most striking and even frustrating things about Job's story is that we know something of his experience that he doesn't know himself. There's something very real going on in Job's life that he and his friends are completely ignorant of. For we know that Satan has a discussion with God. Okay. 
and he's boasting of his success around the world and God responds by pointing to Job and his godliness and his faithfulness to which Satan replies with an insulting and challenging accusation. He only serves you because what he gets out of it. Sure, he's faithful. Why wouldn't he be? Look at all that you've given him. Take it away and he'll curse you to your face. And to prove Satan wrong, God takes Satan's bet, if you like. He gives permission for Satan to afflict Job in any way he chooses, only he must not touch Job himself. It is this that causes all Job's troubles, isn't it? And this is the point, really. Suffering, suffering often comes as a result of an unseen conflict in the spiritual world. And this is really consistent with what the scripture says regarding the spiritual warfare that goes on in people's lives. The Apostle Paul speaks of deceiving spirits taught by demons in 1 Timothy 4. And he says that our salvation is for the purpose of displaying God's glory to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And we also know from our Lord Jesus that God's entire plan of salvation is something that arouses great interest on the part of the angels. There's a real spiritual battle going on, friends, between God and Satan. And to put it in God's own words, there is enmity between the seed of Satan and the seed of the woman. You can read that in Genesis 3. Satan's destruction is sure, and now he's on a furious rampage against God and all those who are his. Satan is in mad rebellion against God and unable to touch God himself, he goes after those who serve him. And so Satan is hard at work to keep people from knowing God, from knowing Jesus. The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, and takes men captive at his own will. Those who are lost belong to Satan and are bound in slavery to sin. Captive. But as Christians, saved and purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have become children of God. And Satan realises that he cannot take us away from God and take our salvation from us. But he does his best to steal the joy of our salvation. He does his best to prevent us from richly experiencing all there is to be found in Christ. And this is what Job and his three friends are completely unaware of. Job chapter 1 helps us to understand what's going on. There is a battle raging over the souls of people and Job is right in the thick of it. And Job's ignorance of all this is reflected in chapter 9 where he cries out in frustration, if it's not God who's doing this to me, then who is it? When I read that, I, I get a little bit agitated because, come on Job. But it's a question of perspective, isn't it? I know for myself, 
when the heat is on and I'm being seriously challenged, my perspective is not as sharp as it ought to be to know that there's a battle going on. So we at this point know more of Job's situation than he does himself. Now the question which so puzzled Job and his friends is the common question, why? For Job's friends, the answer to that question was supposedly found in Job's sinfulness. But Job didn't believe it. He didn't believe that he deserved such affliction. It wasn't because of his sin. It might be found in God's injustice. But what neither of them was able to consider was that they were both wrong. There's another reason entirely. Job was not suffering because he had sinned. We are told that he was suffering because he had not sinned. It wasn't his unfaithfulness to God but his faithfulness that had caused all this to him. It had simply never occurred to Job that Satan had instigated it all. He had wrongly accused Job before God. He doesn't really love you. He's only in it for the money. And now Job was suffering, not for his sin, but for God's honour, in order to shame Satan. And so the point really is, if we are faithful to our Lord, to our Saviour, expect to suffer for it. And we know that Christians are indeed persecuted for their faith. And we know that as Christians we will certainly be challenged in our faith to the point where we have to make some strong decisions. Temptations are just round the corner. But the lesson of Job is that it's because of faithfulness we can draw enemy fire. It may very well be that God has taken up the challenge with Satan again and that we will be confronted with something we don't like very much. It's in these times that we are put on display, that God in his counsel would allow the evil one to come after us so that by his work in us we will be shown to be real. And so we become the means of glorifying God over Satan, that we become victorious over sin and temptation. It all serves a high and wonderful purpose. No wonder James would write in chapter 1 of his letter to consider it all joy when we are confronted with trials and tribulations. God's honour is at stake. And Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, in fact everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's true, isn't it? Well, friends, that's the theology of it all, the theory. 
and we can so easily agree with it or just let it hang there. But the big question is, is it translating into our lives? Now, you might be sick of hearing that question, but I think it's a very good question to ask ourselves. Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to dictate our lives, our thinking, our actions? I think it's good to ask this question time and time again. Also, as we launch into 2013, are we allowing the Holy Spirit to shape us? Are we truly prepared and equipped to be a true witness of him? That we might give God the honour and glory In order to help us with that, to think through that, it's always good to go back to God's love, God's incredible love for us in Jesus Christ. To know what he's given us, really. You know, God gave up his only son that we might never perish and that we might enjoy him forever, you know. It's a wonderful thing to think through. And how deep that penetrates your hearts and minds will be reflective in how you respond to the challenges that come our way. I only have to think that through for myself. It's serious, really. It's serious. We live in a world which is so broken and we are so influenced by it that we lose perspective quickly and it's good just to ask the basic hard questions for yourself where am I really at in this another thing we can learn from Job's experience is the inadequacy of human reasoning especially when challenges come our way. Job's friends were determined that it was because of his sin that Job was suffering. And Job thought that God was dealing with him unfairly. But it didn't make sense. What had he done to deserve all this? And we are told explicitly that Job was a just, upright and God-fearing man. And we also know that it's not because of Job's sin but his lack of sin that brought all this on him. Now Job does not know what we know really. He didn't know of the challenge that Satan had issued before God. But one thing he did know was that his three friends were windbags. And this is reflected in chapter 16 where he calls them miserable comforters. They were full of you know, and their counsel was not able to satisfy him or give him any comfort at all. They knew nothing of his situation. But Job's problem was he didn't either. He had no adequate answer for his problem, no explanation, no reason. He couldn't, he just couldn't get his head round it. 
Are we any different? All through the book we see Job grasping, searching for answers and so desperate is he in fact that he finally in frustration laments life and suggests that God is unjustly punishing him. That's always the problem, isn't it? That's always the great test. If only we could know why. If only we could see God's plan from beginning to end, then suffering would be far more bearable. Somehow if we, we feel that if God will explain to us why the struggles we go through in life, then we could cope better. We think. God never explained to Job. And why would he tell us? What he does is call us to trust him. And late in the book, God finally speaks and responds to Job's challenge to explain himself. But the response is not what Job thought he'd get. Rather than explain to Job why he was suffering, God says, Who is this that darkens my counsel? Who is this indeed that darkens my counsel? Job, did you create the world? Do you make it rain? Who is it that controls nature? In other words, Job, are you really questioning me? There's no part of the universe outside my authority. Do I really owe you an explanation? Do I really? Job, why are you justifying yourself? You see the point? When we find ourselves in trouble, whatever it is, do we really trust God? Or do we feel he owes us an explanation? It gives no honour to God only to trust him when we fully understand what he's doing. That's not faith, friends. It honours him when we trust him completely in every circumstance. God doesn't give us the details, but he has given us more than, more than enough information to trust him. After all, isn't he the one who created us? Who holds all things together? Isn't he the one who saved us? Revealed to us Jesus? Can't we find a good reason to trust even when we don't understand his ways? And so our reasonings are so inadequate. Another thing we can just consider. God is sovereign. We know that, don't we? And he's supreme over Satan as well. The book of Job does not explain all the methods of God in his rule over creation. But did you notice in the chapters that we read this morning that Satan had to get permission? Did you notice that he had to report in? And that he had to get permission again to do more? See, God has limits on him. God has him on a leash 
as it were. I think it's good to think that through. He will never give us more than what we can handle in life. We need to be reminded that God is always there no matter what. He's looking on with great interest as to what's happening in our lives. He loves us dearly. After that discussion with Satan, God is looking with great interest on his beloved Job as to how he would deal with it all. And so we need to be reminded that God is never absent, always interested, always knowing what's going on. But the test for us is, do we believe that? Even in our worst moments, does God still love them? Can you say in your worst moment, there is a God who loves me so much that he sent his son to die in my place. The God who is my father, this great, good, wonderful, loving God who is in firm control of this problem I've got. Can you say that? I don't know what he's up to, but I know him. And I know he loves me and I know that he is good, too good to do me wrong. And I know that he is too wise, too wise to make a mistake. Can you say that? Now if you don't focus on that truth you'll lose the plot, guaranteed. You'll become lonely and miserable and start to feel sorry for yourself. I've been there. To feel that there is really no rhyme or reason or purpose in our suffering would leave us in despair indeed. but equipped with the truth of God, knowing exactly what's going on, is there anything we cannot face in 2013? Whatever comes your way, be it sickness, death, financial collapse, or just personal struggles and challenges. Can it be reasonable or right for a Christian to fall apart and live in frustration day in, day out? Sure, we have our moments when it all seems too much. But is it too much to look up and with a believing heart say, God, I have no explanation for the things that are going on in my life, but I bow before you and accept from your hand whatever you give, as tough as it is. Friends, and I'm not saying I've got my life together. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying what Job would say to us. You know, we need to be taken by the scruff of the neck sometimes, like God did to Abraham scruffed him by the neck and said, look at the stars and see if you can count them. Know these truths. Believe it and it will be credited to you as righteousness and you'll be blessed.
Now, like Chris said earlier, I love the book of Job because it speaks these truths that speak to the heart. You know, they, they speak the truths of yourself. When I read Job, I, I read myself of all the, the wrong, if you know. But we should always read the book of Job with New Testament glasses. Always read it with New Testament glasses. Job never lost his desire for God, even though he lamented his life. In chapter 31, we hear him say things like, Oh, that I had someone to hear me. He longed for a mediator. So let's be thankful that with New Testament glasses we have the bigger picture of God's grace in the scriptures. And so we find ourselves really giant steps ahead of Job, don't we? Knowing that he provided that mediator. Job searched for a mediator, someone who would speak for both parties, who would relieve him of his anguish. We know him, don't we? Jesus. So friends, as you enter into 2013, be equipped with this truth that God's in control no matter what. God loves you. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. There's a spiritual battle raging on make no mistake and that he has made us his own that we might glorify him I feel privileged don't you but I feel challenged as well so God in his grace has given us everything we need he's given us his word he's given us his spirit he's given us each other so let's be a hand and foot to each other in these times that we indeed would give him glory in every respect. So I wish you a, a blessed 2013 and may God's peace go with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's so much to think about when we confront it with our own mortality. And yet, Lord, we thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for the book of Job that would speak to our hearts and that would remind us of your grace and of your mercy and your love. Father, thank you for Jesus, who indeed is our mediator and would plead on our behalf Father, thank you for the challenges that come our way. Father, help us to think them through and to know that they serve a purpose in our life even though we don't always understand. So Lord, encourage us with these words as we go into 2013 trusting you Father, may it be indeed a blessed year in every respect to your glory.
Amén.